Hello all. Uh, this is going to be the last podcast. This is going to be the last podcast for a while, and the reason I say that is because of my priorities. My priorities uh, are changing slightly. For those that are unfamiliar, I do actually have another channel called Learning to Learn, which is where I'm spending most of my time focusing on my research, and that is where my priorities are shifting towards. It's my research towards my PhD, research towards educational science and the most, and it's, it's taking up a lot of time, just to be completely honest. So today is going to be the last episode of the podcast for a while, and what I will do with the podcast is when I have conversations with individuals, I will put them on the podcast. So for those of you that have watched my uh, me versus Remnote video, or me comparing Remnote and Obsidian, I am looking to speak with Mike and Matty and the developers of Remnote to discuss things that I missed, things that they're moving forwards with, uh, and other things like that. And then some of the other conversations, I'm looking to interview some other individuals in the educational science realm. So some of the teachers, some of the educators, some of the people that are talking about different elements of educational science. Some of them will be heavy into specific topics in coaching, some in teaching, some just in science in general, some in uh, little, um, in some less, uh, less well-known areas, let's just say that. But obviously, uh, working out a time and, and coordinating interviews is quite taxing and I won't be able to release one every week but I will be still doing my reviews so if you're still interested in all the information and all the inf uh, and all the topics that I look at over a week you can still have a look at my Obsidian Publish which will still be sharing all of the information it's just you won't get a one-to-one a -one opinion on what I found so moving into today's actual uh, work I will share some of the work that I'm doing uh, outside of the podcast at the end of uh, at the end of the weekly reviews so the first point that I've actually got on my uh, on my notes is combining ideas and the reason I've got combining ideas up is there was a conversation about ecological psychology it was in their seminar series uh, it's on YouTube so they're, what they're doing is they're presenting about ecological psychology in a seminar they have a presenter they present about something about ecological psychology and then they have questions at the end and this topic the, the series two topic was about fluid dynamics. It was it was heavily, heavily, heavily into physics, uh, and I'm going to be honest, a lot of it went over my head. A lot of the physics went over my head, but a lot of the ideas come from fluid science and physics, which is not ecological psychology traditionally when you think about it. And what this individual was doing, uh, Damien was his name. What he was doing was he was linking ideas from fluid science and physics to complexity theory and social science and combining them together to try and build up a framework of uh, what he called cascades of knowledge and cascades of understanding through an ecological psychology lens. And I found this really interesting because essentially he's brought in this, this physics concept with this social science concept and combined it under this framework. And it worked very well, but like I say, I don't understand fluid dynamics, but so there, there may have been things there that were completely wrong I don't know um, but combining these ideas is something I think we should be doing more in not just educational science just just in in science in general combining fields of knowledge because we are very good at categorizing ourselves humans are very good at, at putting boxes around things and categorizing ourselves into groups research groups or research fields or topics or this research article or that paper but a lot of the time there are transferable knowledge bases that can be moved and a lot of the time there are concepts and theories and hypotheses that can be transferred into other fields of research and maybe even the same. Periodization is a brilliant, I love periodization as a concept from strength and conditioning, but periodization can also be used in almost every other like area that has anything to do with energy. Anything to do with uh, building or reducing a capacity 
essentially looking to improve something uh, so you periodize the lesson plan you periodize the coaching you periodize anything where you're looking to improve maybe you'd periodize your business you could put the principles of periodization into your business because when you start a business there is going to be elements of linear progression in there because of the amount of time and effort you put in there but there will be diminishing returns as you become a bigger business as, as things start to grow there will be diminishing returns in the amount of effort you can put into those smaller tasks which is where leverage starts to become a big topic but that's periodizing in a business uh, setting uh, so I think comparing ideas combining ideas contrasting ideas I think needs to be done more in the professional working space and academics of research which there, there is some I, I have some insider knowledge of of a tool that may be looking to tackle that which I'm really excited to see which is again uh, something else that I'm going to mention at the end of the video a little bit more about then the next point is working memory or memory just in general and again this relates to the ecological approach to coaching but what is memory it w was a question and when when we compare the ecological approach to the cognitive psychology approach cognitive psychology use a memory store information store that that's how our brain works we have a memory that stores stuff in our brains now the more i look into cognitive psychology the more i realize we don't really have a a localized brain store because modular the, the modular models of brain of the brain doesn't quite work because we don't have serial processing we have parallel processing and for those unfamiliar essentially serial processing suggests you have this cluster of neurons that process this thing uh, and then you do this processing and then this processing and then you get a result whereas parallel processing suggests well actually those three clusters actually start working at the same time <clears throat> so you have different clusters of neurons func functioning at different times, like at, well, at the same time, at different times, say one will start and then a couple of milliseconds later another will start and then one will finish and the brain activity kind of goes all over the brain and depending on the individual's experience and potential brain damage and other ways that they've molded their environment to mold the way that they think will change their brain activity, the extent of brain activity, the, the frequencies of brain activity. So your memory, well, where is your memory? Your memory essentially is storing something for recall later, according to cognitive psychology. And the question in this podcast episode was, what is memory from an ecological psychology standpoint or ecological approach uh, to coaching? And the answer that they gave was very interesting. Because what they did is they reframed the question and they didn't say, they, they didn't look at memory as a noun, as a thing that you needed to point at and go, that is memory, that is where memory is stored. They looked at memory as a verb. So they looked at, at memory as something that you're doing, something that happens. So what what is memory? Like, what, how can you describe what memory is? And then what actions can you do to enhance or uh, critique, I guess, well, critique's not the right word, to enhance or inhibit, there we go, that's the right word, enhance or inhibit this function, this process of memory. What is this process of memory? Rather than where is the memory? Because memory can obviously be lost and gained, and there can be cues to enhance memory. But there is no obvious, okay, this is where memory is stored, apart from the brain, but then you start questioning extended cognition if you're using something else to help you remember well maybe the memory store goes beyond your brain and if it goes beyond your brain well now you're moving into the realms of okay what helps your ability to remember stuff again looking at it as a verb rather than a noun 
Uh, and that was an interesting conversation. It's certainly a, a question that I have when looking at both of these different approaches to how we approach learning. So for, for, for those of you listening, do you think there is a memory store? If there is, where is it? How do you measure it? How can you find out the capacity of it? Yes, we have ideas about a capacity of memory, but how, why do some people have more? Why do some people have less? Where are those answers? And what about the environmental cues that can help us mem remember things? Why, why do environmental cues help? Why does emotional cues help? Because of the feeling. Is it, is it a, a physical feeling? Or is it a psychological feeling? And maybe it's an existential feeling? And then when you're in an environment with constraints and affordances of different abilities and your experience from whatever the affordance or uh, constraint is maybe allows you to be more susceptible to different possibilities and uses with those or well, how do you then justify that because sometimes you see an affordance in something that you have never experienced before but you still see the affordance someone else doesn't see that that's transferable knowledge from somewhere but if you haven't seen it or heard about it or experienced it in any way before it can't be in a store because you haven't experienced it yet so you're creating something new but that's generating new ideas so how do you explain that and and those questions i don't have answers to um it's just questions that i'm looking to explore on the learning to learn channel um next point <laughs> graph is about performance the, the graph is about performance not about competence and the competency and i'm talking specifically about the dunning-kruger effect i watched a video a while back a while back uh, called the irony of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Now, I've looked into the Dunning-Kruger effect, and I, I know the implications of it, but I've never really paid much attention to the graph because it is manipulated slightly. And this video looks to exploit that, exploit the manipulation and say, hey, uh, maybe everyone that is talking about the Dunning-Kruger effect is actually suffering from the Dunning-Kruger effect because they don't understand what the graph is talking about enough, so they are mis-evaluating mis what this graph means for their learning journey in the like during this Dunning-Kruger effect journey because essentially the spike at the beginning uh, is measuring performance increases not competency uh, and then the drop is again performance because you learn and you learn and then you realize oh wait no I don't know all of this stuff and then you drop it's not your competency in doing something it's your performance in doing something uh, perceived competency I, th I think would be a better way to frame it but in the video he talks about competency um and the reason this is interesting to me is that the graph is just an illustration that looks to support a theory but when you actually read the articles it's it's taken an idea it's looked to support the theory and people haven't looked at the theory they've just looked at the graph and this is uh, something else that i've seen in the uh constraints field of ecological psychology you look at a graph from a paper and you think oh, okay that triangle that's how this works but it's not it's only one part of the puzzle and because we like to categorize things and typically we are lazy we don't like to have a look at all the research we just expect people to explain it to us in the correct way um these graphs these illustrations these images don't often don't hold all of the the theoretical discussion that this graph came from and that i don't want to talk about the dunning kruger effect much in this point because the point was uh the graph isn't actually sharing the whole story so when you look at the forgetting uh, the forgetting curve another graph that doesn't tell the whole story people look at it and go oh yeah we forget stuff yes it is a trend of forgetting but some memories you can or some 
I'm going to use memories because it's synonymous with things that we have retained, but whether they are memories or whether it's something else, again, up for debate. Um, so these memories that we have of an experience, some of them can be, oh yeah, I remember that straight away, because it was it was notable, something notable happened. Uh, maybe it's a massive, massive life milestone. You did something you'd never done before. Well, you're not going to easily forget that. Whereas something that you have very little emotional uh, baggage to, emotional state, there was no triggers, there was nothing, that's going to be more likely forgotten. So the forgetting curve doesn't work for every piece of information, which implicit which it implicitly applies information goes in and then you forget it and then you need to do it again to remember it but some things you don't need to do again and other things you need to do again much much earlier so there's a bigger story to the forgetting curve which again is overlooked because people just look at the forgetting curve and they say hey yeah we forget stuff well, yeah it's obviously we forget stuff and it's obvious there's a period of time that we need to be able to remember that information but that, oh, I'm about to forget it, is going to be completely different for each piece of information, each experience, and it's going to be different for each person as well. So, categorizing in a graph is it's nice and it's easy to see, but it doesn't tell the whole story. <laughs> and and, and this, is, this is what I want to I labor. The graph and the illustration is a nice overview, but it doesn't tell the whole story. To get the whole story, there needs to be an explanation, explanation and narrative or something to explain what's actually going on. Um, next point, leaving tribes when you're changing beliefs. And this relates to this graph, this, this, this thing, oh yeah, I believe in this thing. And you become a tribe that you believe in active recall, space repetition, the forgetting effect. You believe in these things, but to challenge those things, you need to have conceptual change, which is hard in itself. But when you are challenging a prior belief, you're also challenging the rest of the people in your tribe. So again, like I said at the beginning, humans like to categorize themselves. We like to put ourselves into buckets, into groups of people. And when we put ourselves into groups of people, we have a tribe. We feel like we're part of a group. We're part of a tribe. We're, we're part of a, a, a society, a, a belief. But when you challenge your fundamental belief, of that society. Active recall is great. Wait, active recall, maybe that's just remembering something. Who who else believes this? I, ne I need someone else that believes this because I don't want to leave my tribe. I don't want to leave my community behind. Which is one of those barriers to making conceptual change. If someone or a group of people are so invested in that group and invested in the core beliefs that support that group, well, you're not just challenging their facts, quote, quote, facts, their truth, their knowledge. You're also challenging their society, their tribe, their group. And when you look back in human history or any animal history, you defend your tribe. That, that's what you do. You defend your community. Yes, there are tons of communities in the world right now, but you defend your community rather than accepting this change. It really takes time to make a change, which is why we see the tribal battles between applications and softwares and operating systems and loads of different things, because people have a belief around something and they want to stay there. They don't want to leave, which is why change, conceptual change around an academic topic is very difficult because people have researched something for so, so long, they don't want to leave it and they have a tribe of people that believe in this one thing which is why community and science and society's bias is so difficult to then evolve and change over time and change the way people think people still think like oh, 
racism, like sexism, all that sort of stuff, is because there is a there was a belief that that's the right thing, and it took so long to change because people didn't want to change, people didn't want to leave their tribe, their society, which just happened to be the majority of society at the time. Um, and there are still flat earthers, for example, in the world today that have a society, they have a group, and they support themselves, and it's a positive feedback loop in themselves because they don't want to leave that group. They found a community that they want to belong in. So, and that's what makes it so difficult. Um, so how do you how do you change people's minds? Facts aren't everything. You can't just use facts to change people's minds. There needs to be an address, uh, a way for them to be accepted into another community of thought before you can really start changing someone's mind, which is why it takes time, because joining another community of thought and understanding where they're coming from takes time. Which is lateral thinking, which is my next point. Lateral thinking and connections. Creating lateral thinking or creating connections using lateral thinking, thinking between topics, ideas and concepts is a difficult skill to manage, especially with the point I raised at the beginning of the podcast, combining ideas. When you're combining ideas from different topics and areas, you need expertise in both areas to be able to connect them. Or you need to at least understand them to a, a deep enough level to make the connection and actually grasp the connection you're creating, which is lateral reading. You need to be able to read about different topics at different period, periods of time and then combine those things together, which in coaching and education and learning is drastically, uh, it's just massive. It's just massive because you've got all of psychology, all of anatomy and physiology if you're a coach, then you have all of whatever the subject matter is if you're a teacher, and then you have all elements of just learning and pedagogy, motivation, anxiety, uh, perceptions, actions, memory, however you see memory, um, skill acquisition, if you're in motor learning, if you're in uh, cognitive learning, maybe it's a retrieval effect, or how do you deal with practice, space repetition, interleave practice, etc. All of those things are lateral reading that you can summarize in an area, but Educational science is just one area in another group of areas, which is, again, relating to the, the previous example of fluid dynamics in physics relating to ecological psychology. What other physics uh, or science, like chemistry, biology, physics, what other principles or frameworks from there can we relate to educational science and principles in there? Well, you'd need to be able to read both, but you can't laterally read both, which is where I think communication needs to appear. So lateral reading connections can be done by yourself with within your area of expertise but in order to create those connections outside of your domain you need to speak with other people which is where we need to combine ideas which online is a really really good idea but how do we do that better research gate is a, a nice way of doing it i guess but there needs to be a, a different search which again i can't speak about it but really exciting stuff uh, and uh, some, something to add on to that, which is actually the next point, uh, don't rush to find a solution before you identify the problem. When we are in our own sort of like academic field, in our own topics, we go, okay, this is the problem, and this is where I'm going to find the solution. And you, and you, you go down a rabbit hole, you go try and find this stuff, maybe you, you, maybe you even spend four years doing a PhD about it, uh, and then you realise, hold up, yeah, you know that problem that I had to start with? Yeah, it's not really a problem, uh, it was actually underpinned by this mechanism, which is another problem somewhere else that no one's actually tackling. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I haven't experienced that. I've certainly experienced that as an undergrad, though, uh, where you go, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a problem. And then you start writing about the problem. And the more you research the problem, you realize, actually, no, that, that problem isn't a problem at all. Uh, it's actually something else, which, again, is, I mean, it's, it's sort of related to my research, which I'm going to get through, get to in a second. Um, but this is where actually finding the problem, 
getting getting a real grip of the problem that you actually want to try and solve or find a solution for or try and help with needs to be done before you actually find a solution and this relates to productivity like the tech app space in general because people think okay i have a note-taking problem give me a solution set or casting let's use that or pbv or para or whatever imf <laughs> uh, and then they go and find the solution but the solution didn't actually give them uh, an answer to the problem that they had because the problem that they had doesn't like it it wasn't solved by the the framework because the problem they had was slightly different it wasn't just note taking it was actually prioritizing notes or prioritizing capture which maybe it's a note-taking system, maybe it's a philosophy of taking notes, or a philosophy of learning that needs to be adapted or molded, uh, and, and those sorts of things are not addressed very well in a, a lot of a lot of content that I see. It's sort of, here's a solution to this problem, but that, 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 that bit isn't said. This problem specifically may be solved by this solution, and a lot of people don't know what their problems are, um, myself included. There are some issues that I have that I, I, I don't know the problem well enough to find a solution, which is normally when I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to leave that and prioritize something else, um, which is... <laughs> Which is related to James Clear, one of James Clear's articles. Actually, did uh, yes, I put that down as the next point. Uh, saying I don't know is okay. Um, if you don't know the answer to something, if you don't have a solution to something, it's okay. It's okay if you don't know the answer because you haven't done the research yet. You're not, you haven't you haven't got expertise or a deep level of understanding in that area of research or that area of. Uh, concept expansion, I guess I would say, because I want I don't want to say facts or knowledge because. You, you you can't be factual knowledge about things that you don't know. You can guesstimate, which is just concept divergence, basically. You have a concept and you, you diverge into lots of different ideas, lots of different trains of thoughts going down the rabbit hole to try and find uh, a way of converging those ideas into some sort of knowledge or some sort of fact that you can tangibly use uh, as answers. But if you haven't done that research, you haven't done that processing, you don't know. And it's okay to not know. <laughs> it's okay to not know, even, even as a researcher. Like, you, you will find more unanswered questions than answered questions, because we just don't know. Uh, and this is where I'm actually shifting my priorities. So where are we at? We're 20 minutes in. Oh, that's pretty good timing. So 20 minutes in, my priorities are changing, because my research, as I've just expressed uh, unintentionally through this podcast, uh, is related to connecting ideas th from varying uh, areas of research, area uh, varying concept concepts, and being able to laterally read each of these different concepts at one time and putting them together into a cohesive narrative that I understand that is easily digestible by other people as well because I want to be able to explain it to other people because there's no point finding stuff out and going, hey, look at what I found and then not being able to explain it. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I want to do. But lateral, lateral reading takes a lot of time. Uh, a perfect example of that is these questions around ecological psychology and cognitive psychology. For my, for my argument for either ecological or cognitive psychology in my, P in my PhD, I need to be able to justify why cognitive psychology is right or why ecological psychology may be right. Right is obviously subjective in this in this example because there is no right answer because we, we, we don't know yet. There are, there are too many hypotheses and theories out there. Uh, so this this priority is shifting towards research. My, my research in um, reading books, reading articles, and creating content around educational science that is digestible to 
people that aren't in the field. Um, I have dynamic articles on my website, which I have changed recently. And the dynamic websites are the articles that I have done in Obsidian, but they're not a narrative. It's not a, an easy story to follow. And that's what I want to try and do. I want to create an easy story to follow in a video format, which is going to be on the Learning to Learn channel. They are going to be shorter-ish videos. The, the, the plan is to make them about 10 minutes. Um, but they're going to be covering big topics explained through a nice narrative, a nice story. Uh, and I will be completely upfront and say GCP Grey is a big um, inspiration for, for, for that channel. Because I think he explains topics very well. It's fun. And they are very complicated topics sometimes. Um, and I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking that approach. The other priorities that I have is I'm building out an Obsidian course. I will be recording some of the videos today. <laughs> um, and the Obsidian course is going to be a, a tactile, static course with membership support if people are looking for a priority support. Because there are there are things that I'm repeated, that, that I repeat over and over about my process, about certain things. And I want to build out uh, a way to share the, share the information. It will be a lifetime access course. Again, if you're interested in all of these conversations, become a patron and you'll be able to uh, join the, the conversations going on. Or you could just join the Discord uh, and then have the conversation in the general chat. But the general chat um, is normally left behind with the <laughs> for for the Patreon um, for the Patreon chat because that that chat's really exciting. Uh, yeah, so that's that's where my some of, some more of my time is going. And the course there, I have the Obsidian course in mind, but I also have a couple of other courses that will be sort of synonymous with it uh, going along alongside it, also related to learning, which I'm excited to do uh, because it's it's being able to give a a more more linear linear road to what I'm doing rather than people having to explore all over the internet for, for all of my content. So yeah, and I'm bringing it all into sort of like a couple of places, which uh, an application that I currently use for my research, those that are familiar may know what I'm talking about, but an application that I use for my research has some very exciting developments when it comes to um, accessing certain uh, groups of information, groups of uh, research uh, and and just sharing it, sharing it in a in a way that you can discover lots of things at once, which is very very exciting. So, I will leave that there. And for those of you that are interested in any of the stuff that I've spoken about, I would probably say join the Discord and ask me questions because that's where I spend most of my time. But until uh, the next conversation, uh, this podcast has come to an end, and I'm going to I'm going to call it and leave it. On, on this last note, I want I want to leave it on 27 because 27 is my lucky number. 27 minutes is my lucky number, so I'm going to blabber around for the next 40 seconds to get to to get to 27. And this is actually interesting because my vlogs, my daily vlogs, are around like I'm. I, I say, oh yeah, I'm going to do 10 minutes, and then I end up sort of like lingering around uh, like a 10 minutes unintentionally. Um, because I, I have a topic and I speak about the topic and poof, there it is. Uh, but yeah, so hopefully you have, if you do have any questions, you can go to the Discord and find out the answers. If you're interested in any of my notes, any of the narratives, uh, go into Obsidian Publish, you'll be able to find it. But yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that uh, the, the podcast is ending, but if you're interested in the next channel, I will leave a link in the description to the channel. It's, I, I've got one video up, it's a, a different style of video to other ones, so do let me know about feedback. Uh, but yeah, I will see you either on my main channel or on the second channel. Bye, guys.